Scripture is taken from uh, Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 30. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain a gnat, strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside of them may be clean, clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you are outwardly appearing righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. You would have had to been there and seen it to believe it. I went out to camp with my family on Friday afternoon and started looking through some of the things that were left there. And of course, over the course of a year, there can be a lot that accumulates in the way of dust and dirt and grime and that kind of thing. But it seemed like this one particular dish had been left there purposely as kind of a mockery to the whole dishwashing process. It was a bowl, and as I looked at the bowl, it was like somebody had taken 20 years' worth of rancid cereal and caked it all over on the inside of this bowl. Outside, it was a little dusty and everything, but that shined right up. But on the inside, you're looking at this bowl and saying, how in the world could somebody in their right mind have left it there? And as I thought about that bowl, I thought just a moment about what would happen if my son, who is always an early riser and always one who's ready to eat breakfast as soon as he wakes up in the morning, if I took that bowl and I gave it to my son so he could go and choose his, uh, his uh, choice of sugary goodness for cereal without having washed anything on the inside of it and just given it to him and said, here you go. Can you imagine his look on his face as he looks into that bowl and sees the thing of which he's about to pour his cereal and then his milk? And then he looks at it and perhaps says, Daddy, I don't want to eat out of that bowl. It's dirty. And imagine just for a moment me taking the bowl and then going, okay, I'll fix it. Here we go. Nice and clean. There you are. Now you can eat out of it. There's two reactions. <laughs> Number one, I imagine my son going, and then moving on, <laughs> he's hungry, <laughs> and there's not much that stands in the way of him being hungry. The other action that I imagine might be far more likely, Daddy, I don't want to eat out of that. It's gross. It's dirty. It's nasty. What do you do with an unwashed dish? 
doesn't matter how clean the outside is. It doesn't matter how good it looks on the outside. When you take a look on the inside, if any of us were to sit down in a fancy restaurant like what's pictured here on the screen, and we were to see our soup dish, that dish by which we'll shortly be eating out of it, I know that there's more than a couple of us that would have a problem with that and want something to be done about that. We are dealing with the subject this morning of hypocrisy, particularly religious hypocrisy. And as we talk about religious hypocrisy, I want you to understand something about the people with whom Jesus had dealing, to whom he's speaking and addressing these seven or eight woes as you read in Matthew 23. Notice in Matthew 23 and verse 2, as Jesus is talking, who is he talking specifically about? The Bible says, the scribes and the Pharisees. And there's a couple of things that we want to make as far as observations right off the bat about the scribes and the Pharisees and their identification as people who, at least in pretense, served God. Notice some things about them that I believe are important for us as members of the Lord Church to look at off the outside. If we were to describe the Pharisees, one of the first things we would describe them as is the original back to the Bible movement. The Pharisees were born out of a time when people were saying, no, it's okay to compromise. It's okay to compromise. In fact, it's encouraged to compromise. They say, absolutely not. We will not compromise the word of God. They wanted to just hold on to the scriptures. And the fact that they were holding on to them so tightly, to be honest, was an admirable thing. Problem was, they didn't stay there. Because they began to enact other laws around the word of God so that they would make sure that they weren't keeping the law or they weren't violating the law of God. And so in, in essence, they made their own law so that they could keep the Bible separate. And they began to enact all these different commandments and all these different things to say, well, let's make sure that we're not violating the word of God. So we're going we're gonna, to, if God draws a line 10 meters, we're going to draw 20 meters. And they began to do things that were really in violation of the word of God by them trying to make some traditions. But their initial idea of wanting to go back to the Bible is noble. Notice something else. They were encouraged in living pure and holy lives. In fact, the name Pharisee means pure ones. They were interested in doing the things and making sure that they were not ceremonially unclean and they watched where they went and how they did things so that they could observe and be observed as people who lived in a separate manner. They were separate ones. And that's the idea of that. Notice number three, they were evangelistic. They were evangelistic. They went about, Jesus would say here in Matthew 23, we'll deal with this a little later, that they would go across heaven and across earth. They would go across land and sea in order to make one convert, in order to make one proselyte. They wanted people to understand something about the God of heaven. They were evangelistic in their nature. They were people who were generous in giving. You remember the Pharisee who Jesus used as an example, the one who went up to the temple to pray and he stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I give tithes of all that I possess. God, I want you to know that I honor you with my giving. I want to make sure that you know that I'm giving and I'm giving to your glory. Jesus dealt with it also in Matthew chapter 6 and talking about giving your alms. Don't be like the hypocrites for they stand and they want to make sure that they blow a trumpet before them so people can see the massive amount of money that they're about to drop in the collection plate and the offering box. Whatever the case may be, they were generous in their giving. And they were firm believer in the authority of the scriptures. They were always 
in their dealings with Jesus here on this earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, going back and saying, teacher, didn't Moses say this? Teacher, wasn't it written in the old law about this? What do you say about that, teacher? I want to know what you meant about this because I know that Moses in our law says this. Isn't it wonderful that they appealed so often to the Old Testament scriptures, to the law of Moses, which is the, law, the Bible that they had the, that generation. And all of these things, brothers and sisters, on the surface are good things. Please don't misunderstand. All these things are things that we are as God's people called to do and called to be. But the issue is, is that from the heart they did not do a single one of these things. From a firm and loving commitment to their heavenly father, because they just wanted to be humble servants of a great God, they did not do these things. They did these things because they made them look good on the outside while Jesus here in Matthew 23 deals with the inside he says you may look good on the outside but the major point of what I want you to understand is how we look at a dish that's clean on the outside and dirty on the inside is how God sees us in the hearts of people who are living hypocrites hypocrites you know that comes from a Greek term and that Greek term hypocrites has to do with a person who is a play actor. Imagine just for a moment this stage was set. We've got all of the set design and set pieces behind. And what would happen in the Greek tragedies or the Greek plays is somebody would come out and they would wear a mask. And as they would act in different ways and as they would tell the story that was there, they, you knew that there was an actor behind that, that that wasn't a genuine representation of who that person was. That's the word for hypocrite play actor. Even today, actors, even though they don't perhaps put on masks as they did back in the Greek days, even today, you see a person in a movie or you see a person in a play and you look at them and say, well, I know that's not the character of that person that, because I know that person. That's the idea. When you are saying one thing, but you are entirely something in a different setting. That's the definition of a hypocrite. And even though these men were dedicated to these principles of being the original back to the Bible movement and wanting to pure, live pure and holy lives and be evangelistic and generous and giving and firm believers in the authority of scriptures, again, all good things, that is not who they were on the inside and what Jesus wanted them to see before he went to the cross. One of his last addresses to them was that God sees your inside and God is repulsed the way we might be if we were to look at a dirty dish sitting there in front of us at a nice restaurant. How does God view our hearts this morning? Would God view our hearts as people who are hypocrites? Let's look at three different points this morning. Number one, we're gonna look from Matthew 23 at what makes an unclean dish. What makes a dish unclean? What makes our hearts something that God is repulsed by? Number two, we're going to look this morning at alternatives to cleaning. What, what, if I don't really want, don't want to do the cleaning of the dish, and let me tell you, there's a thousand excuses for me not to do the dishes in my sink at home. And as I don't want to do the dish, what are some alternatives that I might turn to? What are some things that I might entertain? But number three, if I am committed to doing the dishes, so to speak, spiritually speaking, how does that happen? How does that occur? Let's look, number one, what makes a dish unclean? Jesus would give some characteristics of these men about what makes an unclean dish. Number one is corruption. Corruption. 
Notice in Matthew 23, a couple of verses here, beginning of verse 5. All their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places, the feasts, the best places, the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and become by men, be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Notice down in verse 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, all these little bitty spices, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you have done, these you ought to have done, without leaving the others undone. One more verse. Even so, verse 28, also outwardly, you appear to be righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Corruption occurs, brothers and sisters, when we take our lives and we treat our lives like nothing on the inside matters. And I can be as selfish as I absolutely want to be, just as long as people don't see me as a selfish person. I can be just as lustful as a person can be, just as long as people don't see the lust. I can be just as gossipy and ugly to others, just as long as people see me as just telling it like it is. And I can emphasize all of these outward things and nobody has to look on the inside at what my heart is doing. If I can try and make such a good show of what's on the outside, the physical, then I don't really have to give any attention to the spiritual. That's exactly the thing that Jesus begins his keynote address, the Sermon on the Mount, with. In talking about these people... And saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes through the litany of things as you've heard it was said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, who is angry with his brother without his cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You've heard it was said that, that you shall not look at a woman to lust after her. But I say to you, or you shall not commit adultery with a woman. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The problem is... As Galatians 6, 7, and 8 tells us, do not be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap this word. Number one, corruption. If you're going to put your hope in here and now and just be as selfish and as prideful and as arrogant and as thoughtless as you possibly can be towards other things, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. As God looks at your heart, he sees the dirtiness of the dish. We cannot put our emphasis just on outward appearance because that means our hearts are most likely corrupt. Notice, second aspect of hypocrisy, callousness. When I cater to my pride, everybody else is going to pale in comparison to what I want and what I think and what I want to do. Notice what Jesus says about these men here in Matthew 23 and verse 14. For pretense... Notice, just for show, for pretense, they make long prayers. He says, however, what are they doing? In secret, they are devouring widows' houses. Here's a sweet little lady, and all she has left to her from the death of her husband is this little house. And here's this monster that comes along that doesn't look with any bit of compassion, doesn't look with any bit of pity, but all his concern is, is that money that could come into the treasury, that money that could somehow find its way into his own pockets. He is not the least bit concerned with his fellow man. He is certainly not the least bit concerned with the less, least of these, as God would consider them, 
Remember that God, or James said that pure and undefiled religion is this before God the Father is this? To take care of the widows and the orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted by the world, James 1 verse 27. But here's somebody who doesn't care about the widow. And you could extend that and say he doesn't care about hardly anything except for himself and how he can make himself look the part of a godly, of a righteous person. But inwardly, he's a monster. He's calloused. Number three, calculation. Calculation. Jesus said you pay tithes. That is, you give offerings. You give what's commanded of you of anise, mint, cumin, all of these little bitty spices, all these little things. And what they would do is they would just weigh them out to make sure that they were giving the exact right amount I want to make sure that in the least of these things and all these things, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention. Jesus would say, you're straining out a gnat and you swallow a camel. You don't give justice to give thought to justice and mercy and, 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 and grace and all these things that God upholds as biblical characteristics. Yes, do the little things. However, make sure that you're not neglecting the big things. They had come to a point where they could calculate, how much could I give? Oh, parents, I would have taken care of you in your old age, but, you know, whatever I would have given to you, I've decided to dedicate that to God. What a wonderful thing I am. What a wonderful person I am. And you can't really argue with that because I did give it to God. He's talking, Jesus talking and dealing with these people. They were skilled in calculating and making rationalizations about who they were and about what they could get away with. What makes a dish unclean the fact that it's contagious, it's not going to stay to itself. It's not going to keep to itself. If I take a dish like this, again, representatively so, and I take it out of the dishwasher and it looks like this, and I put it right back in the general circulation, the general population, you know what it's going to do? It's going to get on those other dishes that I have in the cabinets. It's going to not stay to itself. In fact, Jesus, in talking about their evangelism, you go and you, you cross land and sea to make one proselyte, but he says you make them twice the son of hell as yourselves. You don't keep that contagiousness to itself. It's going to rub off and it's going to affect other people. Corruption. Callousness. Calculation. Contagiousness. That sound like you? That sound like me? Sound like your heart, my heart? What are some alternatives? What if I choose not to wash? <laughs> what are some alternatives that I might have besides cleansing? First thing I might do is try and control my perception of the way people see me. Control. Look at verse 5 through 7. All their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries barge. They've got these little boxes full of scripture. And what they would do is they would place them on their head. They would place them on their arm. They would make sure that they had God's word, scripture, everywhere about them so that they could say, I'm a person who observes the word of God. They make them broad. They make them large. They want to enlarge the borders of their garments so people can see what spiritually minded people they are. If I can control perception of me, then maybe won't, people won't get too close maybe they won't begin to look on the inside and try and see what's really there Jesus could see right to the heart of them he says all their works they do to be seen by men 
They make their phylacteries broad and large of borders of their garments. They love the best places in the feast, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. You know, there are some people that will try and white-knuckle the perception that others have of them. And in fact, sometimes the alternative to actually truly cleansing comes in the fact that, well, I'm just not going to do those things anymore. I'm just not going to do those things anymore. You see, I've got these spots on the outside. I'm just going to wash them real good, and everything's going to be okay. And what's going to happen over time is the outside's going to become just as dirty as the inside. And it's not going to be anything that, that somebody's not going to be able to look and say and say, see, that's there, that's there. But sometimes people try and white knuckle and try and control so that they don't have to cleanse and have to really deal with what's on the inside. Let me tell you something. If you are a person that struggles with lust, swearing off pornography is not going to be the solution for you. If you're a person that struggles with anger, just committing and saying, that's it, I'm not going to yell at my family and my wife anymore. If you're a person that struggles with gossip, just saying, no, that's it, I'm just not going to do those things anymore is not going to solve the problem. You know why? Because you haven't dealt with what's on the inside. Jesus never said, here's what you do. You cleanse the outside. You make everything look just right and like it ought to be. Sunday morning smile, Sunday morning dress. All these things are good. And then the inside is just going to be affected. Jesus said, you got to start with the inside. And so what you'll find is, over time, again, you struggle with lust. You swear off pornography. That's going to come back at some point, And it's going to come back with a vengeance. Anger. I might be able to control my temper with my wife, with my friends, with my family for a little while, but what's going to happen is that corruption, what's going to be on the inside is always going to come on the outside. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 12, same book, same people he's dealing with here, and he says, out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. Matthew 12, verse 34, he, we don't speak out of line with scripture if we say out of the abundance of the heart does the life act if I haven't dealt with what's on the inside and I try and white-knuckle it from the outside, it's never, ever, ever going to work. You understand me? I will always have those things that will come back and that will corrupt because they're always coming from the inside. Number two, sometimes people try and compromise. Verses 16 through 22, as he deals with these things, he says, Woe to you, blind guides. You say, whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obligated to perform it. All right, I want to find a loophole uh, so I don't have to keep my promises. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to establish this system where I say, well, I swear by the temple that I'm going to pay my dues. The person comes back the next week and says, well, it's time to pay. Well, I don't, I don't have the money to pay. But you swore by the temple that you would, you would, you would pay me this, this week. Well, yeah, I swore by the temple, but I didn't swear by the gold of the temple. See, if you got me to swear by the gold of the temple, then I would have been obligated. But since I didn't swear by the gold of the temple, just the temple. You know, I used to talk about the kids on the schoolyard and school. And you would talk to them, and you knew that there was, there was always at least one habitual liar, right? And that one habitual liar was always like, no, 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 I swear, I swear, I swear it's true, I swear it's true. And I'm thinking to myself now, I didn't think it necessarily then when I was there in the schoolyard, what habit or thought or what character of life led that person to be a person that nobody believes him unless he swears, unless he says, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear to God, that something is going to happen. 
That's why Jesus said, you be a person of integrity. You let your yes be the yes, you let your no be no. But these people were so invested in finding the loopholes so that they could compromise and so that they could do whatever they wanted to, they were corrupt. They did that instead of cleansing. Sometimes people want to contradict. They want to contradict. They're just outright, I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to follow it. That's why Jesus said, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, speaking of the scribes and Pharisees, he says that, observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. You know, hypocrite. Somebody's going to give you something to do, and then they're not going to do it themselves. Jesus says they, tie, they lay heavy burdens on men, things that are hard to bear, but they're not even going to lift them with the least of their fingers. Sometimes... We want to make people jump through hoops. We want to make people try and uh, 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 dance to our tune when we're not ever, ever going to deal with those things in our life. It's always easier to perhaps say something without doing it. James would say, don't be deceived. He talks about uh, being a hearer of the word and not a doer, but rather be a doer, hearer and a doer of the word that you're not deceiving yourself. What about cultivating critical spirit? If I can be a person that always has the focus off of me, because I'm always pointing the finger and seeing which one of you and which one of uh, y'all is not dancing or not, and not, uh, not living by the right tune or not li- living by the right, like they ought to. If I can always keep pointing the finger at somebody else, well, it's them, it's them, it's them. You see that person over there? They're not living like they ought to. You see that person? You see that person? You see that person? And because I'm always pointing the finger, you know what I never have to deal with? I never have to deal with what's on the inside of my own life. And in fact, I can use some of these other things to make myself look like I've got it all put together and make it look like I'm one that can sit in a position of judgment while in fact I'm sitting there pointing the finger at so many other people. I remember Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night and later on in the book of John, there was an occasion where uh, the Pharisees were outright condemning him and Nicodemus just kind of speaks up in that occasion. He says, Guys, I just want to ask, remember he's a Pharisee. Guys, I just want to ask, does our law condemn a man before it hears him? You know what their answer was? They turned to Nicodemus and they say, are you also from Galilee? Are you also from this backwoods sticks type of town? You need to search the prophets because there's no prophet that ever came out of Galilee. He shut him down, didn't he? Rather than dealing with the legitimate question, Maybe we should listen to him first. Maybe we should really consider what Jesus says. They were more invested just in shutting down whatever it is that didn't fit with their lifestyle, didn't fit with their hypocrisy. With the brief time we have remaining, the question we ask ourselves is, how do I come clean? How do I come clean? As we think about these things, let me give you four words, and yes, they will all begin with C. I don't normally do alliteration. I kind of shy away from alliteration, but it seemed like it worked, so I had to go with it. Number one, I want you to understand that coming clean has to begin with commitment. It must. Y'all, there is no alternative to a heartfelt devotion to God, to being God's man, to being God's woman, And to saying, he is my king, he is my Lord, it doesn't matter what other people think of me, I am going to please him and do what he wants first 
and foremost. The reason why at the very beginning of the keynote address in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is because here's a person who sees themselves in the eyes of God and realizes, brothers and sisters, I may not be as corrupt as the Pharisees, but there is a Pharisee in me. And there's a Pharisee in you. And we're honest with ourselves if we say there's a little bit of Pharisee in every single one of us. Aware I want to deal with everything that doesn't have to deal with me and with my heart. But Jesus says with a person that starts, blessed are the poor in spirit. A beggar before God. Somebody that needs God more than anything else. That's the place to begin for dealing with the heart issues that affect the rest of our lives. In dealing with those things, that was what the Pharisees were unwilling to deal with. They weren't willing to see themselves as poor as spirit. They were willing to see themselves as great in men's eyes. And because of that, they never got to the place where they were cleansed from the inside out. It has to start with your commitment. Matthew 23, verses 26 and 27, blind Pharisee. Jesus gives them the solution here in this, in this verse and in this passage. First, cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. They thought if we just clean the outside enough that maybe the inside will, will happen. I don't know about you, but I've heard many, many people over my course in time say, well, you just got to fake it till you make it. You realize what a bankrupt idea for dealing with life is? Fake it till you make it. Trust in God first. Trust that things are going to work out through him and through his providence and through his care and love for you. Don't fake it. That's putting on a show on the outside. You be a person that trusts in him first and foremost and say, I don't know how things are going to work out in my life, but I'm humbly going to look to him for the solution. It has to be a wholehearted commitment. It has to be something where you emphasize the character of your heart. Character, same thing as integrity. Who I am when nobody else sees. Who I am when nobody else knows uh, except for me and for the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are there in every place, keeping watch over the good and over the evil. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The character of your heart. Matthew 23, and verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It absolutely matters what I do in secret. Please understand, it does matter what I do in secret when nobody else sees it matters how I behave. I want to do what's right because I'm committed to the Lord and I know that he sees. You do right and you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. If I'm committed to being God's man or God's woman, I've got to emphasize the character that he wants me to have. I cannot be a person who says, oh yeah, yeah, I follow him. Oh yeah, I follow him. And then I don't do what he tells me to do. Stop making excuses and start making choices that are based in the character of the man that God wants you to be. Based in the character of Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Number three, confession. Confession. Luke 17, I cite this one, verses 13 and 14, which is the prayer of the Pharisee and the prayer of the publican. You remember the two men that went up to the temple to pray? One of them prayed and stood and thus prayed with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. God, I fast twice weekly. I give tithes of all that I possess. And then you had the publican, the tax collector that went, stood afar off, 
and wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Can I tell you something? One of the best things that you absolutely can do if we're talking about cleansing the inside of the dish is find a brother or sister in Christ who you absolutely trust, who you know to be a person walking in character and walking in integrity, and sit down across the table with that person and say, listen, I deal with this. I have got lust in my heart, and I am powerless to control it. I don't know. I don't want this to be here because I want to be wholeheartedly committed to God. I want to be wholeheartedly uh, uh, walking in my integrity and my character, and I need you to pray for me. Isn't that what James chapter 5 or 16 says? Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man has great power while it's working, according to the ESV. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, we find the people that are spiritual and we try and restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Guys, we need each other. And one of the ways God has given us to be able to deal with the corruption and the hypocrisy in our own lives is talking to each other and confessing to one another and visiting with one another and saying, I need your help. I need your prayers. I need your love. I need your compassion. And certainly, I need the grace of my Lord. Problem is, we walk around, again, with our Sunday morning clothes, our Sunday morning smiles, and we don't deal with what's on the inside because we don't know how. Well, Andy, somebody's going to look at me and they're going to say, Andy, you're weak. Yeah. But you're coming to the right source. Andy, somebody's going to look at me and they're going to think less of me. How long have you been a member here that you've seen people come forward confessing sins? And realize, God, church, we're all trying to get to the same place. And we all absolutely need each other to lean upon and to cast our cares upon one another and cast our cares upon the Lord and to help one another. If we talk about being family, doesn't that mean anything anymore? That we're committed to somebody and we're committed to you and committed to me and that we're relationship-based, that there's nothing that you can do to make me stop loving you? And there's nothing that you can do that make me stop loving you. And, and if we're committed in the way that honors and glorifies the Lord, why should we shy away from confessing our faults and our trespasses? But one of the best things you can do among this point, friends, stop blanketly talking to God when you go to God in private. God, forgive me of all my sins. I wonder sometimes if our Heavenly Father is just waiting for you to say, God, I don't control my tongue the way that I ought to. God, I don't control my eyes the way that I know a man of integrity ought to. God, I am angry with this person. And God, I am struggling with unforgiveness because of the way that this person has treated me. And God, I need your grace. And I need help. Because, God, I'm committed to you. I want to walk in a way that's righteous, not just appearing to be righteous, not clean on the outside, but clean from the inside out. Talk to God and be real with him. Don't just blanketly carry, God, forgive me of all my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Think about the ways that you need his grace in your life. Compliance. Compliance. We have to be obedient. 
There is no other way to be happy than Jesus than to trust and obey. Jesus, it's interesting to me that in talking to these people and giving these eight woes to these Pharisees and these scribes, Jesus tells them on the outset, verses 2 and 3, whatever they tell you, who are non-scribes, non-Pharisees, to do, that do and that observe. They may be telling them things that are absolutely right according to the word of God. He says, but don't do according to what they say because they say and they don't do. And friends, I want you to understand that when we have lives that are so full of corruption and that are so full of trying to make the outside look clean, it may not all come off at once. Let me tell you something as we close. Cereal is the worst. Cereal is the worst. It doesn't matter what brand it is, but if you leave a cereal bowl there outside the sink and it doesn't have any kind of water in it, I don't know what it is, but that milk is going to act like Bondo. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to take months to get that cereal off the side. When you get done with your cereal, again, I'm on my soapbox, when you get done with your cereal, pour some, milk, some water in there and let it kind of soak it up so that, that way somebody can come along with a sponge and just go, whoop, it's done. But when our hearts are like that bowl with milk, it may not all come off right at once. But through time, through steady pressure, through patience, and through commitment to these things and coming clean, there's going to be a time when you're not a vessel for dishonor, as Paul would tell Timothy, but that you become a vessel for honor. And it's interesting to me that if you watch somebody wash a dish, they're going to spend the majority of their time on the inside. And then when it comes to washing the outside, you know what it usually is? It's just a little bit of this, and you're done. You lay the sponge aside, you dry it off, and it's fit for use. Friends, God wants us to be people who are clean as dishes from the inside out. And the question we have to ask this morning is, what ways do I really need to reexamine the Pharisee that's inside of me? What ways do I need to see the self-righteousness and the hypocrisy that comes from just living in this life and wanting to seem like I'm all put together and wanting to seem like everything's okay on the outside because those are the exact things that Jesus came to solve. But he didn't come to solve it by saying, well, you just got to act cleaner on the outside. He said, you got to clean from the heart, from the inside out. And I'm thankful for the grace of God through Jesus Christ to be able to allow us the time to continually work on the aspects of hypocrisy in my life and your life. I'm grateful for the God who gives us a church family to be able to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. I'm thankful for the God of our Lord Jesus Christ who has an eldership that's concerned about you and concerned about me so that we don't live in hypocrisy for long enough to where we say, you know what, I'm just done with that church because it just makes me feel bad every time I go in. It just makes me feel like I can't do anything right because that's not what the church is all about. It's about us living pure and holy lives, but from the inside out, and as we have elders that watch out for our souls, so also we want to look out for one another because, friends, we need each other and we can't make it alone. 1 Peter 3, verse 21 is in the Bible. And even though the ones that say the baptism is not necessary for salvation, can't deny the fact that 1 Peter 3, 21 says, baptism does also now save us. And what's interesting is he uses cleansing terms. It's not the taking a bath. It's not the removal of filth from the flesh, as he would say, but it's the cleansing or the answer of a good conscience towards God 
As God cleanses us from the inside out, he cleanses our hearts in the waters of baptism because we've made that commitment to say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and I want to serve him every day after this. And I want to continue to follow him all the way to glory. Thus, we're immersed into water, we die to self, and we come up clean. And every day, as we live our lives, walking in the light, we know his blood continually cleanses us. That's 1 John 1, 7 through 9. Do you need that this morning? Are you ready for that to take place? It involves you making a commitment. Jesus said, whoever desires to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If you're ready, we're ready as we stand and sing our invitation song.